tonight on Ronin Rescue Cast, we have calling in all the way from Texas, Brian, Robert, and Ryan. And I'm just reading you guys off in the order on the uh, screen there. And uh, we're going to be chatting about a first-time team going to Grimp Day in Namur, how they trained, what they thought, you know, areas to improve, what have you. But let's start off with uh, thanks for coming on tonight, gentlemen. Absolutely. Glad you could have us. So I'm just going to have each one of you do a little introduction, and I'm just going to go down the list. We've got uh, Brian on here first. Go ahead, Brian. Yes, my name is Brian Phillips. Um, I live in Paradise, Texas, about an hour outside of Fort Worth. And most of our team is in the Fort Worth area within about an hour. Uh, a little bit of background is I'm a firefighter in uh, Haltom City. Uh, it's just outside of Fort Worth. And I've been in the fire service about 13 years. All right. So real quick, because we didn't introduce the team name. Chisholm Trail Rescue. Why Chisholm Trail, Brian? Well, uh, another member that created this team, he came up with that. He uh, he works at South Lake Fire Department, and Chisholm Trail is kind of a, a big trail that goes through, goes across the country, but really through North Texas. So it's a bunch of departments that are along that trail. All right. Next in line here, I've got Robert. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourself, Robert. Uh, yes, sir. My name is Robert Brown. Um, I work in Weatherford, Texas on the truck at Station One. Um, been doing firefighting, started as a junior volunteer when I was 16 and have just kind of got sucked into the lifestyle and kept going moving forward ever since. So I think this is um, eight years for me in the career. Right on. And Last but not least, just the bottom of this list, Ryan, go ahead. <clears throat> yes, sir. I'm Ryan Topley. Um, been a firefighter going on about 20 years. Uh, been with Haltom City with uh, Brian Phillips. Um, I've been there, let's say, 19 or starting 19. Um, I've always enjoyed rescue and just the challenge of it all. Um, like Brian said, we all live pretty close to the Fort Worth area. And... Um, I'm staffed, actually. Brian is my lieutenant currently, and we uh, also have a rescue truck in our station, so it kind of just goes hand in hand that we're going to be hanging on ropes at some point during the day. Nice. And as far as the team went, I'm just going to hit you really quick and just tell me what position you were in. Start with Ryan here. What position were you on the team? I was one of the rescuers. All right, Robert. I was a rigger. And Brian? I was the team lead. Oh, look at that. We've got a good smashering of uh, cross-section mm -hmm. of that particular team. So I guess I'll start. I'll throw this one at Brian. How did you find out about this competition? What made you decide to go? Well, we started, uh, we did a competition in Texas last year. And... Um, one of the guys that really created this team, he applied to Grimp and we all heard about it, but uh, we really didn't know what we were getting into until we got selected. So 
we knew it would be better in ourselves and we'd be it'd be a great training opportunity so that's kind of the mindset we went into it with the training leading up to it and then just the the skill set and training that we get at grimp all right let me uh bounce down ryan you said you're one of the rescuers correct uh yes sir so what kind of training did you do as a rescuer to prepare yourself for this a lot of youtube university um so none of us have you know we're north american rescuers we don't um we don't do sprat or irata i mean it's just not in our playbook and so learning about grimp and kind of the the foundation of it and uh what a lot of the teams the teams that uh, compete foundations are is kind of the rope access world so for us you know that's a lot more rope work than your typical north american um nfpa rope work and so for us we um dove into the youtube university and um shared a lot of videos amongst our group and made a lot of phone calls and and then just bit the bullet and started working um we all hung ropes in our individual stations and tried different things and cussed and discussed and um bled a little bit if you will um I, brian can attest to this a little bit more but i think as a group we logged as a group like 500 hours of training um before this competition uh and then individual just hanging on rope obviously more than that so we came a long way from where we were okay um you say youtube university now did you as a team go out and train together or was it a combination of training together plus individual skills or did you take any training outside of youtube or just uh kind of go with that well we <clears throat> we did train together like i said about 500 hours together in you know on rope setting up scenarios uh that we thought would be pertinent um but then just you know looking at rope access skills that we've never tried or or been privy to um in departmental trainings or outside of departmental trainings so we then took those skills that we were researching and then attempted them and worked through the different ways to accomplish those um like I said, none of us are official Sprat or IRATA or or any of that. We we did want to get to a rescue the rescuer class, but it just wasn't in the cards. Um, not not before committing to uh, making it across the pond. Fair enough. And Robert, you said you were there as a rigger, correct? Yes, sir. Now the rigging that you practiced was it vastly different from what you use in the fire service, or was it? kind of on par uh it's very similar um we real we learned real quick that there's a different set of rules than probably what we learned at the local college than what is acceptable at grim and so we kind of take an initial like social media hit when you start posting photos of well that's actually not redundant and there's a failure there and uh you just kind of learn to take those with a smile and learn from them so we were lucky enough to get we had a lot of people reach out to us when they found out we were going um, and help us out along the way. 
So most of our systems came down to just twin mirrored clutches. I mean, uh, there wasn't much we really couldn't do with just, we ran two clutches on a bolt and, and that pretty much did 90% of our rigging, I'd say. That's not too shabby then. Nice light, easy to carry. Yeah. Um, I mean, all of us up before this were running half inch rope and MPDs. So we were lucky enough to reach out to some manufacturers and CMC sent us some clutches, PMI sent us rope. Um, we just had a lot of help from, from pretty much everyone. Well, that's so, awesome. I mean, that's what it's about, right? Oh, absolutely. I'd, I'd reached out to, I had some of your Ronin guys message me about different systems. Um, Axel messaged us about skate blocks and gave us some pointers there. Uh, just, just everyone in, it's amazing how small the community is. And we learned real fast when we were needing help to get there. Well, that's awesome. And Brian, back to you, the training yes, that Robert and Ryan kind of discussed here, the 500 hours, the slightly different systems, was it, let us, was there any gaps in that training when you got there? Like what worked and what didn't? Um, we were, our training worked until we got to the certain rope access stations. Um, <laughs> that, with, that was out of our league. We, we attempted it, but um, that's where we struggled was on the two scenarios that really had the, the rope access work with horizontal climbing and then uh, the big ascending with the loops that uh, those are the two scenarios where we really struggled. Okay. So you were a first time team, you're training for this, another first time team say from North America, cause they're going to have similar skill sets to what you started with. What would you say to them? If you had to pick, three items to train on what would they be um didn't mean to throw the big stump yeah. around there yeah. <laughs> now um really breaking down what the redundancy means because it can get it can get real cloudy real quick so early on it was a little confusing on us on where you stop the redundancy um it makes a lot more sense now, but it was just reps and getting a little bit of feedback. So definitely starting there. And then all of the Sprat skills, Sprat level one skills, it's it's stuff that we had never done. Uh, in our rope classes, we ascend 20 foot and that's about it. So um, ascending is a huge part of it, um, especially on the, really almost every scenario had uh, quite a bit of ascending and some scenarios was a tremendous amount of ascending. So that would be a third thing that really you gotta be dialed in on. Robert, I'm just going down the list, Robert, Ryan. Robert, any, same question to you. As a rigger, three things that you would say to a rigger that was going to this for the first time. Uh, do some research on span anchors would probably be the first we we've seen them we've played with them like here or there and there were several scenarios at Grandport that was that was almost the answer um the vertical two 
definitely became one where it was uh we learned real fast we're just gonna have to to build a span anchor between those two and go off there and we hadn't really practiced it much we had an idea of what it was but kind of just had to work with it on the fly um, right now did you put a device in there for i i so i mean asking like a like a force limiting like a tension line or did you tie truly a spanned anchor with no device no, so it would it'd be more of a more of a tension line than a true okay. span anchor so one side of a pillar we wrapped a uh we did a bowline with the yosemite hitch through and terminated the front bite the carabiner of the rope and took it back to two technoras that were girth hitched around the column there and into a plate with two sparks right on so and that works for you on that one? That that worked amazing. Three to one on a spark. Two people pulled on it, tensioned it, and then locked it off. Right on. And Ryan, as a rescuer, if you had to give a piece of advice to a rescuer from North American Fire that was going over to one of these events for the first time. Whatever it takes to appropriately and safely make it to that patient as fast as possible is important because that's points. Number two is ascending. And Brian alluded to this, but I, I think of only like two or three things that I didn't have to do quite a bit of ascending um, or the other rescuer. So ascending is very important. And like Brian said, we, we just don't, that's just not our bread and butter. Our bread and butter is to raise or lower, you know? Um, that's what you do with a victim in North America. You, you don't ascend next to the basket or above it. Um, and number three is whatever that patient that you think that patient might need, you better have it. Eye protection, uh, a solar blanket, a jacket, something to make that victim more comfortable. Maybe even a teddy bear because it just looks good. Um, our Stokes will in the future always have a teddy bear. Uh, or right. So those are that, you know, as some of them Europeans say, those sexy points, um, whatever it makes that victim look like you've done something to make their day better is important. So we now have an airplane pillow that rides with us. Uh, that way that victim's head is just cushioned. So, yeah. Now that quick access to a patient is something that. I can speak to the Canadian side of the border and fire departments this isn't something that we've done religiously up here. And I don't think it's probably something you've done quite religiously down there either. Do you find the European approach of getting someone to that patient to make contact and start first aid? Do you find that something you would take back into your rescue systems in North America, or is it just something for the event? Oh, absolutely not. We, we've been discussing this, arguing it, you know, the old guys standing next to the scenario while guys are training and going, well, why didn't they just bail over the edge? You know, why do we have to set up this beautiful, amazing artificial high directional before we lower our rescuer down? Um, it's something that's been in conversation for years in my circles. And uh, there's no doubt we're bringing that back. Uh, bail over that edge, whatever you need to do for edge pro, the rescuer's on his own. Take care of yourself. You've got two lines. You know, you've got your ASAP and you've got whatever descending device you're using. 
and radio back what you need. Um, and that's where we're at, uh, as far as my opinion is. If we had a rescue tomorrow and I was the rescuer um, and Phillips was my lieutenant or team lead or whatever you want to say over it, um, his expectation is, is that I, I get down there quick and figure out what to do. Um, and then we go from there. Right on. Now, Brian, you, any takeaways from a team leader point of view, anything that struck you as different or something that you would bring back? Um, as far as, uh, in the fire service, we do big briefings and, Whenever uh, you're over there in the competition, the briefings, your time starts as soon as you open your mouth. So there's a little bit of a learning curve of getting enough information out that the, the scenario will go smooth, but not talking too much that you're losing your points to get the, to the victim. So finding that balance was something to work through a little bit. And I see the pros and cons of it. Um, just as long as you and your rescuer are on the same page and you know what they're doing, they can get caught back up with, with the rest of the team. But uh, that's, that's a big learning curve that we had there. And it kind of evolved as the, as the competition went on, the briefings changed and we found the line where it got too short and then found the line where it was, it was just right by the end of it. But it was a little bit of a learning curve. Just like the little bear's porridge, eventually you get it just right. Yeah. And Robert, same question to you. A takeaway from a rigor point of view. Um, <laughs> I'm drawing a blank right now. What I, I, I took away so much from that. Um, mainly it was just the, re the redundancy in the systems was the big deal for me with, with rigging is learning, learning how to, what is true redundancy and what is, what is redundancy in human error? What is redundancy in equipment? And where's that line? Where are we willing to? So we had several conversations actually since we've come back of like, what are we going to say our team? Here's, here's super redundant and it may work great in access, but does rope access and rope rescue have the same risk analysis? And so and that, that, that's an interesting point, the risk analysis, but go on. So, so that's been kind of our big deal is, is where, where do you draw the line? Are you, is this pulley need to be backed up because it swivels? Do you put a 22 kilonewton quick draw over a double pulley that's rated at 36 kilonewtons? Um, I, I think that's just conversations you have to have internally with your department is what are y'all going to accept as, as a risk assessment, is the time and simplicity worth the lack of redundancy? And it's really funny coming from an event like this because Belgians can make patient access on single rope if in not in a competition, but in the real world. And when you train on their systems, that's part of it is SRT techniques. So to bring that back out of there is actually quite amusing, right? But they obviously can't do SRT at the competition, so. Right. <laughs> but uh, no, I like that. Um, next question. What was your favorite event 
like scenario of the event. Robert, we're with you right now. Let's keep going with you. Okay, it's gonna it's gonna sound really horrible, but it was that hanger. <laughs> <laughs> it was the worst climb ever, and I did absolutely horrible on it. But I learned so much in that just hour for the people and a half. That are listening that might not have been there, why don't you just back up a little bit? And explain what the hanger is. Um, so we showed up, and it was a museum. What was the ceiling? Is probably 120 foot. Um, it was it was huge, and. So you start on the second floor with a, a angled rope with just enough slack to get on it. Um, so you had about a hundred foot climb to the top where it was probably a 40 foot rebelay to the center beam. And then three really tight, well, not super, just loose enough to say they weren't tensioned rebelays through the middle. And then you reversed it and went back down the other side. Yeah, that's not European. I wouldn't even call it a re-anchor. It's I know exactly what you're talking about there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It um so we had that was where we had kind of a communication breakdown is the person that brought us to that event was like, hey, you just need basic stuff on you to go up and down rope. So then all of us, we'd been doing all this access stuff with <laughs> harness. And then we shedded everything but just bare minimum and went to that event. So then I jumped on rope, climbed all the way to the top of the ceiling and went, uh-oh, I didn't bring an adjustable lanyard with me. Ah. And, and so things got really interesting really fast. Um, the look on the judge's face when you look up at him and you're 120 foot in the air and go, uh, just theoretically, do I have what I need on my harness to solve this problem? Uh <laughs> he got a chuckle out of it, but it took a, it was a little bit of a learning curve. Right. Uh, I think it was good. Like working through that problem, putting yourself under that pressure. Uh, I mean, I've come back since then and trained on it and can do it almost blindfolded now. Nice. Uh, and for the people that are listening, if you would have swung into something, what was the uh, obstacles in that particular hanger? Planes dating back to, I don't, they wouldn't even let us touch the planes that were on the floor next to us. Um, yeah. But it was hundreds of planes. Yeah. Right on. Uh, Ryan, your favorite scenario of the event? <clears throat> I'm struggling um, between three of them, honestly. Um, okay. I, I absolutely loved the high line across the rock quarry. Okay. Um, for reasons because it's i mean it's a rock quarry and you're in 59 degree water or whatever it was it was that was cool the ascent from hell um i i have to say i didn't go all the way to the top i went to whatever the midway point was um was that the tower or the, the dalton um the dalton the, the dalton tower was supposedly seven 70 meters to the top and yeah um i went to the basket and did the rescue um and that was out. 50 meters so 50 meters which so why that is also an equal to me um because i i have never ascended that that height um but i i also heard in other um conversations or podcasts if you will videos of rope access people I respect 
in those last several months of doing this research that have never ascended over 40 meters. So when I've gone 50 and in a competition, and I mean, I'm not saying it was easy because it wasn't. <laughs> that that puts it up that level of what was favorite. But number one, I think actually was the first scenario. The very first scenario we got was the wooden roller coaster. Uh, it was, um, it did, I, I wouldn't say it had been raining, but it was very uh, dewy. So the wood was very wet. So it started off with a bang of just slick and just hard to get access up it. Uh, or not hard, but just a challenge. We were the first team of the morning to start it. We'd carried all our equipment past like four teams that already had their equipment there. And they were like, all right, Chisholm Trail, y'all ready? Let's go. And we're like, whoa, 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 what about those four teams we just passed? Maybe they should go first. And, you know, I mean, it's our first scenario and our first big competition on an international stage. And all these teams that we we passed walking in that are watching us, um, we, we respect and know and follow on, you know, Instagram and we're like, what, 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 why aren't they going first? And it was just a, a good, you know, swallow your little bit of pride and ego and humble yourself and just get after it. And I feel like we nailed it. We did very well. Um, I uh, coined the, uh, the phrase, the starfish technique, because I actually lowered myself under the basket as we were, ascend, um, as they were hauling me with, uh, uh, dual clutches and, um, up to then make a skate block to come down. And as I was going up, the basket is actually wider than the, or longer than the, the, the pathway between the structure of the wooden beams. And so I had to constantly be touching some beam with one leg or one foot, um, and pivoting the basket, manipulating it in different ways. And, you know, that's just not something I've ever trained on. So I've never hung completely under the basket and had all of my arms and legs hanging, you know, st stretched out in different directions um, in a starfish. Um, so that was fun. Oh, I bet. I can just picture it in my head. Yeah. I, I don't know how to say which was the favorite, but one of the three of those or all three of those were my favorite because they were they were just awesome. Excellent. And Brian, as the team leader, what were your thoughts? Like, what was your favorite uh, scenario or scenarios of the event? I think the uh, we had a high line across the rock quarry. Yeah. And I don't know how many feet it was, but I think it was a couple hundred feet across this uh, rock quarry. And the first part of the scenario, you had to get a rescue swimmer into the water within 45 minutes. And if you didn't do that, then you're disqualified and we made it within a couple of seconds getting him <laughs> so uh we we worked through some stuff and barely made the cutoff for the 45 minutes but then overall we ended up with one of the best times in the event so i think uh, it went we we worked through a lot of problems and ended up going very well so i like that scenario a lot excellent now um, we'll start. We're with you, Brian, right now. If there was something that you could say, hey, you know, this as part of the competition coming from North America, 
I'd like to see them improve upon a bit. Was there anything that struck you from that? No, I can't. I can't think of anything. I, I had, didn't have any complaints. Um, we went there to learn and, and we did that. It, it was a, a great environment. Everybody was there to help you. Uh, all the other teams after the competition, uh, everybody was there to share information and learn. So I don't have anything that, to change or to improve. All right. Uh, Robert, same question. No, I, I, the competition was amazing. It was run amazingly. Um, that was that was a life changing event for most of us guys. So that was that was a blast. We I can't give one negative thing. Ryan, do you want to be the odd man out here? Or what are just your thoughts? Not one thing about the event needs to be improved on, but I could probably do a little bit more cardio before I go next time. Uh. Well, there's, there is a really good question there. If you're going to, number one, would you do this again or another competition? And number two, outside of the rope access that we talked about, is there any other skill sets or piece of equipment that you would take that might make the difference? We'll just start with you, Ryan. You're right there. You kind of brought it up. Um, so would you so do another competition? And yes, Absolutely. I, I hope to do this until I physically can't. Um, financially, I'll I'll figure it out. I don't need two kidneys, whatever. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, some people have heroin, some people buy whatever. I just right. travel the world and rescue. Exactly. But outside of the rope access, is there another skill or piece of equipment that you would say, hey, you know what, I'm going to pick this up. I saw, you know, buddy use it there or whatnot. Is there something like that that you saw? Well, I I don't know about saw, but I'm definitely going to start out with a different harness than I have now. Um, CMC actually really hooked us up the last day and let us put on um, an Atom. Um, and after using the harnesses we're using, and I had many bruises from them, and um, that Atom was very comfortable. So I'm going to start out a future international competition with a much better harness, and I, I hope it's an Atom. Um, uh, that was uh, Rebecca and Xavier, I think, that got you guys those, was it not? Absolutely. Yeah. They were an awesome group. Um, he So Xavier actually loaned me his clutch from that he received at Grimp uh, North America, I believe, um, as the team clutch. And he loaned me his clutch because mine um, has been acting up. It's It's got a manufacturer problem. It's actually at cmc right now but he wanted his to use for the last day and i and i actually used it which was just really cool and of course you know it's a priceless piece it says grim you know on it so it was very cool and rebecca was awesome um she actually brought some slings to me that were never never delivered to my house and and uh she brought them from california or wherever she lives and brought them over to uh belgium for me so very cool right on i'm just going up the list robert same question would you do it again um I, I we've already got a lineup for i think for the next year um uh, we go next month to the texas rescue comp so we'll be on the deck of the uss lexington excellent doing a competition there so that's a kind of a state 
competition that's been going on since 1977 in Texas. That's very cool. And the Lexington's an old aircraft carrier, is it not? Yes. So we're excited for that. And last I saw, I think we got our name in the hat for Great Day in Spain. Oh, excellent. That's good to hear as well. So I think Red, we saw Red River sneak in and we, were, we couldn't let them go without us again. No, that's fair enough. It's, uh, you know, there's a lot to choose from. And the other question there, is there outside of the rope access, is there a skill set or a piece of equipment or technique that you saw or were exposed to that said, hey, you know, I've really got to bone up or I've got to do that? Um, I don't think as far as competition wise, no. Um, I'm, I'm kind of a gear hoarder. So I can't, if I see something new, so the current guys, Peter got me stuck on the new Taz, the Taz love three. So now of course I've ordered one of those and I've been playing with it. Um, I do, there's just all sorts of different techniques and stuff you see there that I've been able to apply coming back. Um, the biggest, like I was talking at dinner one night to, uh, Lucas from go ropes. Yeah. And I was like, man, I didn't have an adjustable lanyard. And he was like, you've got two cow's tails, don't you? I was like, yeah. And he goes, well, don't you have a curl in your chest? And I was like, you're kidding me. And he's like, just put your adjustable lanyard in your curl. It's that simple. Or your cow tail in your curl, and now you have an adjustable lanyard. And it was, it was like that like aha moment of like, you don't know what you don't know. But I was like, where was that six hours ago? <laughs> well that's good i mean that's what it's about right is, is learning those different things um brian same question would you do it again absolutely i'd, I'd come back anytime that they they select our team i think uh we would find a way to get back over there um just the amount that we learned uh, is invaluable so uh we'd do whatever we could to get back if not there, then to other competitions and just keep growing. Right on. And same other question, piece of equipment or skill set or something that, I mean, you've all mentioned the rope access skill set needs to be bumped up for people in North America going over there, but was there anything else? I don't know about a piece of equipment that uh, I saw that we, that I personally needed over there, but more of what not to carry on my harness. Um, I had a Aztec on my harness for four days and never used it. Now we also got two wingmen that were given to each team. So we were using those as well, but the Aztec that was on my harness, I never used not a single time. I'm just going to throw in a slight aside here. Norm Chow, when you listen to this, see, it's a private inside joke amongst our company. So <laughs> the, uh, no, just a couple of the, the real, you know, big basic, your stretcher rigging, adjustable bridle, that worked for you guys? Anybody can throw out on that question if they want. Yeah, we uh, we pretty much set it up. We had two one-meter Petzl adjust for the head. Going to uh, – we didn't have any fancy ring opens. We just used some tri-links to a – just a Kong flat plate, two by five, I think, and then running an Aztec for the legs with uh, more – so we had four one meter adjust in it and the Aztec adjusted the lower end of the stokes. So it worked great. That Kong plate had plenty of attachment points. We were able to suck it down nice and tight. Um, 
It took a little bit of finessing kind of our first day because we didn't know how to fly over with the Stokes. So Max was nice enough to lo loan us one when we got there. So kind of trying to find the new balance point of your Stokes. The yeah. The competition was a little tricky, but we made it work. Shit, I wish I would have known. We've got a Cascade two-piece uh, advanced Max sitting over there in Zab's garage. <laughs> Oh, that'd have been beautiful. <laughs> yeah, well, we learn after the fact, right? Yeah. Um, you guys say you in Texas, you're using 12 and a half. I'll throw this out to Ryan. And you're using 11, obviously, at the competition. Your thought processes from a fire department point of view between those two, are you, is it something you're like, hey, I'd like to bring 11 back to my fire department or no, fire needs to stick with 12 or 12 and a half, pardon me. Can we talk about can we talk about eight mil? Um, <laughs> oh, um, I'm I'm a hundred percent for eleven. Um, we've we've been talking that quite quite a long time in our our department or our our inner circles. Um, and now that we have started purchasing some of the equipment, obviously for the Chisholm Trail team and you know personally, um, our department is ex or our region, if you want to say. Um, is has actually started uh, exercising the notion of it. Um, I can't allude to the amount of ropes we're getting. I, I have no idea, but we are going to start the transition to 11 mil. Um, and it, it'll have to be a slow process. But um, when you have um, guys like us that definitely know how to pick out the different pieces and, and know how to teach guys, hey, that's not an 11 mil uh descender you can't put that on half inch you know we're we're, we're gonna bridge the gap uh, i just hope i see it completely in my career right on and brian you had kind of mentioned or just touched on it a little bit they use a couple different like leadership briefing styles for lack of a better term for that is there items in there specifically that you think we could take away from in North American rescue at all, or is it just is the system's too different from ours? Well, I don't know how the, I don't know how the other teams were doing their briefing. I just know that it's way shorter than our briefings. So I don't know exactly what all their briefing entailed because we never got to listen to uh, listen or really watch another team. Okay. But, uh, so I, I couldn't really compare the two. Well, I mean, I know they focus a lot on standard operating procedures or SOGs, SOPs. And that's where I think a lot of the teams do manage to get the briefing down because I know with our team, if they say build an MA, it's a five to one unless otherwise spoken. So it's, you know, it's TTRS on clutches unless otherwise spoken. So a lot of that brief, just disappears because there's just SOPs in the background that we end up doing. And I know watching your team a little bit during the three days, I think you guys almost started migrating a little towards that. Cause you would say kind of like how we did it last time or, you know, words to that effect. Absolutely. Um, so going into it, we were really focused on getting the points for the team lead as well, because you're also great on how your briefing is. So was initially we're making it very in-depth and very specific. And then it wasn't until like midway through, it was our last scenario on day two. And one of the uh, judges 
actually gave us some feedback and and let us know really it, it just needs to be short and get over the over the wall. But we were under the impression that everything needed to be spelled out or we were losing the points on the team lead side. So it yeah, definitely shortened as we went. Right on. Is uh, there anything else that you would like to bring up in regards to the com the uh, competition or the training or any takeaways that you think are important for other teams that might be looking at this venture? And I'll just start with Brian with, again. Uh, yeah, it was. It just comes down to the reps. Also, uh, we had a ton. So we had fifteen team trainings before the event and we were also lucky enough to go up to kentucky and we trained with red river for two days so they had us up there and we trained with them for two days so that was great as well um nine degree edge transitions is something that as a team that's not something we we ever do down where we're from we always have some kind of high directional so we really had the edge transitions down um we didn't have any issues over there because of all the repetitions that we did ahead of time. Uh, I think that's one, one of the big deals is the 90 degrees. It's just not something that we're used to. Right on Robert, same question. Um, I think if, like going forward from here, especially even for our team is assigning positions early so that when you're going to trainings and getting the reps in, you're in the position you're going to operate in in the competition. So uh, we kind of juggled around, everyone wanted to do everything, who's gonna be where for the first couple months until we kind of locked down who was gonna be in what spot. And then that's when our trainings really became productive. Now you mentioned that, did you have to have any flexibility in the competition? Did anybody have to move positions at any point like a rigger had to become a rescuer because of a certain scenario or did it stay pretty much by the playbook um the riggers did a lot more climbing than we thought <laughs> um, <laughs> so in both like the wooden roller coaster topley was the rescuer went down i went up as the rigger and built the skate block in the change of direction up there so that way i could kind of adapt it on the fly and so then buck who's our second rescuer ended up hauling with Marciniak at the bottom. Um, so most of the times if we had to split and kind of build any sort of system hanging, then one of the riggers would end up going and building a system. Either Marciniak got to be the uh, short straw who's a rigger to climb the Dalton. So he did all that at the top and Topley did the pickoff. So we, we were able to kind of interchange and we both knew what the other person was doing, but definitely Topley's going to pick someone off a lot faster than I am. I'm going to build a system a little bit faster than Topley can, but we can both make it happen. And I think that's important to bring up. Um, there's always these kind of loops that get thrown into the scenarios where all of a sudden it's like, you know, you're expecting to control and you're climbing a hundred meters. I don't know anything about that at all, but it's, uh, <laughs> it just happens. You know, it's just the way it seems to go. Uh, same question to you, Ryan. <clears throat> I, Do you I'm remember the question? <laughs> yeah, start over with the actual question. The <laughs> um, 
What was the question now? Uh, <laughs> sorry. Robert, what was the question? Because we went sidetracked there. Did I sidetrack it? I I don't remember now. Changing I think position. there was anything else that you wanted to bring up or add. Oh, um, gotcha. Um, for, for me as a rescuer, um, and coming from the North American, you know, dope on a rope, um, you're lowered to the victim type mentality over the years. Um, ascending is just vital and learning how to work the basket, not necessarily being attached to it. And that was a learning curve for me. Like uh, Phillips mentioned, we we did several, uh, well, like 500 hours worth of group training and lots of 90-degree edge transitions. But before we got to that 90-degree edge, Topley or Buck um, or, or whoever was the rescuer at that time was either ascending next to the basket with a hand on it, keeping it from the wall or or whatever obstacles. Um, or ascending above it and using the one hand to hold the ropes to kind of keep the basket from, uh, you know, tapping the structure or whatever, what have you. And that was a great learning curve. And now that's my playbook. Like my playbook is unless the, the proctor says you have to be attached to the basket, then I'm not attached to the basket for any reason. I'd rather work next to it, under it, above it, whatever. Um, and that's just a different mindset. I mean, like I said, I've been doing this almost 20 years in some regard, and that's never been an option. A rescuer is always attached to the basket. A rescuer is always lowered, you know, in the in the beginning of my rope rescue career. So just learning how to move freely, which is more that sprat level stuff. Um and then working with the basket to help the guys above. And then now adding communications in there um, that I've never really had to deal with because there's always an edge guy looking over and you say, whoa, slow, stop, whatever. And the edge guy already knows it because he's looking at the challenge. Um, so it, it was a, there's a lot, honestly, but for a rescuer, just not being attached to that basket. You said something there, and I just want to dive down that little hole for people that are listening. You said the communication, because there isn't an edge guy looking over at you all the time. Can you, can you just expand on that one a little bit for the folks over on this side of the pond where you and I are right now? Well, sometimes he can't because of the amount of um, edges that are there. Uh, for example, um, initially with uh, one of the scenarios on day two uh, that had the corrugated tube, we had to go to the little mock confined space. Um, unless you were pretty much hanging out completely over the edge, um, which initially our edge guy was, or our team lead, if you will, was helping uh, the riggers get going and all that. So once I dropped my ropes and were able to get down, there was no way he was initially seeing what was going on. He had to rely on communications. Um, and, and just some of the scenarios, 
if you, you know, there's, there's not always one edge. Sometimes there's multiple edges. So even if, you know, with overhangings or, or what have you, the victim can be out of sight and the, the edge guy will never see him until we're past that, that edge. And that's something you probably don't see a lot on this side of the pond. No, um, definitely not in a lot of the trainings I've been part of, but we're in a concrete jungle. Um, so, I mean, we do get a little bit of wilderness here and there, but the reality is, is that it's a ravine. It's a slopey vac. It's, um, it's not multiple edges where you're having to do, um, lots of edge pro and, or, or stage rescuers, um, up the ropes to assist with that. Um, that's just not something that's been in my playbook over the years. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for uh, joining me tonight and recording this and giving your thoughts on it. It's always great to speak to teams on their first time, and especially when they're from over here. And it's just such an eye opener. And I mean, a little tangent. I remember when we went there in 2013, we were the first North American team and people are taking pictures of some of the stuff we're doing. And we're like, we're either doing something really cool or really dumb. I just don't know which one it is yet. Or uh, probably, probably a little, little bit of both. <laughs> so, but thank you guys very much for uh, joining in tonight. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having us.